Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are doing a book called Skeptic by Michael Shermer, Viewing the World with a Rational Eye. Mate, so Michael Shermer heard on the Joe Rogan experience, sounds like a bit of a legend, sounds like some cool stuff. He's a skeptic and he pretty much is the main skeptic by the sounds of it. Mm. Created this online magazine and this whole movement. And being a skeptic just means that Basically, when they hear stuff, they just don't believe it. They actually want to test it out and test, see if it's real or not. Yeah. Any yeah. kind of theory where it might be a conspiracy theory or yep. something that's actually a mainstream kind of theory. Some kind of new health ideas or any anything that's some any new idea, essentially. Mm. He puts it through these bunch of filters through a rational eye and then kind of picks everything apart to see the, the validity of, of pretty much everything. Yeah, exactly. And so, it's pretty much like... He's willing to believe, but he doesn't just believe everything he hears. He wants to test it out first. And if there's proof, then he's happy to believe it until new evidence comes along to disprove it. Mm. So that's what his magazine is essentially about. He's probably had a magazine for over a decade where he picks apart all these different things. And this book is essentially a whole bunch of his magazine articles collated together into one interesting book. So there's there's probably what 80 or 100 different things in there. But we've, we've sort of picked out three or four each that we'll dive a bit deeper on. And starting off with chapters 12 and 13, which he calls baloney detection. So I think this gives a good overview of how he thinks or how he goes through the process. And he, it's called uh, How to Draw Boundaries Between Science and Pseudoscience. Mm. So when Michael Shermer, he challenges some of the beliefs, people will say to him, why should I believe you? And Shermer says you shouldn't. So never yeah, believe exactly. someone at the very start. Exactly. Uh, just have, go through these certain filters that he has to, to yeah, see how true they are. Exactly, man. And that's what he does. He doesn't believe anything he hears. And when people listen to him speak, he says, don't believe me either. Do your own research and look at the facts and, and decide that. Yeah. So he goes through 10 questions um, that he goes through. So question one, how reliable is the source of the claim? So obviously, if it's some dude on YouTube who has got 20 views and he comes up with his brand new idea that he met an alien overnight... Yeah. Probably not that reliable. Mm. But if, um, <laughs> yeah. if yeah, Barack Obama yeah. all of a sudden says the USA yeah. are hoarding aliens, yeah. then you go, oh, more believable, yeah. yeah. More believable. <laughs> Definitely more <laughs> reliable source. Question two, does the source make often similar claims? Mm. Yeah, so he says you've got to be aware of these these people that are fringe thinkers coming up with crazy ideas because they consistently ignore data or distort data to suit their own claims. Mm. So someone like that might be like a Alex. Alex Jones, <laughs> he just makes anything that's a conspiracy, like he'll just jump on and then he'll make all kinds of claims and the whole world just a bunch yeah. of bullshit and it's flat and there's aliens and yeah. people getting raped or butt probed by aliens <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Question three you've got to ask after the first two. You've got to ask, have these claims been verified by another source? Mm. Um, and so it doesn't just mean that if they've been verified, then... That's true because often he says these quacks seem to stick together and if they're verified by someone within their own circle, then don't believe that. But if they're verified by someone far enough away who's also reliable and respected, then that's Mm. a tick. And obviously, Shermer prefers like the scientific literature review and that kind of method to really uh, verify the claims of of some, some of these ideas. Exactly, man. Question four, how does a claim fit with what we know about how the world works? Yeah. So maybe the flat earth theory. Yep. It doesn't really fit with everything else we know about the Earth. It's just something that's got no real... Yep. <laughs> it doesn't fit with anything. Exactly. Question five, has anyone gone out of their way to disprove the claim or has only confirmatory evidence been sought? Which I think is important in that if you've just got this idea and you're just looking for evidence to support it, then that's not so good. You need to be looking strongly. You've got to try and disprove it as hard as you can. Yeah, and be careful of confirmation bias. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah 
hit us with a bit of confirmation bias. Basically, that once you've got an idea, the things that you see might be neutral, you twist to view it in your favor. So if you've already got an idea, everything that you see around you will support that idea and confirm that idea. You go out to support that information. Yeah. And it's a bit hard today these days with things like Facebook and all the algorithms already yeah. supporting your whatever viewpoint you already hold. <laughs> Man, that's pretty much what it is because Facebook shows you what you want to see. Yep. So Facebook is full confirmation bias. So if you see that... If you're a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> if you're a conspiracy theorist and you think the Illuminati's out there doing some crazy shit, then all your posts will be filtered through that and you're yeah. going to see more of that sort of stuff. Mate, I had, a, I had a little bit of that. I think I looked at one or two of those videos and then Facebook <laughs> and YouTube just smacked me with it. You've got to be careful with that algorithm. And I, and I, I, had, a, I had a good period of six months where I thought, yeah, the Illuminati was just <laughs> fucking with me. Um, question six. Uh, does the ponderance of evidence converge to the claimant's conclusion or a different one? So essentially he says that any uh, thing that you should believe, it shouldn't be just on one single fact. It should be on a whole range of facts that all converge to the one point. Yeah, and evolution is a really good example of this. Yeah. So there's not one fossil bone in the world that says evolution's a thing. Yeah. There's millions and millions of pieces of random facts that point to evolution. Yeah. So it's come nice. from multiple sources. Awesome. Question seven, is the claimant employing uh, accepted rules of reason and tools of research or have these been abandoned in in, um, in favor of others that lead to desired conclusion? Yeah. So basically just like ufologists, they just go wild. They see lights through the sky. Normal research might be check what the plane routes were that night yep. and check if the guy was drunk or Yeah, Why, <laughs> or why are they, all the ufologists, man? They've always got blurry, blurry cameras. <laughs> They've got iPhone 7s these days. <laughs> Everyone's just like this speck of light. So basically they've, they've ditched traditional research in favor of just their own methods. <laughs> um, question eight, has the claimant provided a different explanation for the observed phenomenon or is it strictly just denying everything else? Mm. And so that's, sort of, that's a good thing is if you can provide different alternatives and then people assess which is the most likely, that's probably a good way of doing it. A bad way of doing it is just hanging shit on every other, everyone else. Yeah. What's the next man? He says, sorry, he says that's like a classic debate strategy yep. is not defending your own points but just hanging shit on everyone else because if you try and drill, like give a perfect argument, people can then pick it apart. Yep. So yeah, debaters just like to hang shit on each other. Hmm. Um, question nine, is uh, the claimant, uh, if the claimant has offered a new explanation, does it account for the many possible phenomena or like all these different observations? Yeah, so if you're making a new conclusion, it has to be more, more likely than the alternative. Yeah. So just because there's some circumstantial evidence for this new conclusion, it has to be more than what's already there about the existing idea of whatever it might be. Nice. The other question you've got to ask, number 10 is, is the claimant's personal beliefs and biases, does that drive the conclusions or is it vice versa? So obviously if you're uh, heavily religious one way or the other, if you're heavily political to one party or the other, uh, any other ideological beliefs, are they influencing the outcome or is the research influencing your beliefs? Yeah, that's that's absolutely huge, man. I think. Yeah. If you're leaning far leaning to the left or right, it's going to yeah. really alter how you how you view things. Exactly. And the man. conclusions you come to. So he says, uh, after all that, so it's important to remain open minded, and you've got to consider new evidence as it arises, but you've got to also be skeptical, essentially, mm. of where is this evidence coming from, who's it coming from, how have they come to this. So you've got to be, pretty, yeah, you just got to be skeptical. You've got to be open-minded, but skeptical. Yeah. So Sherman's obviously got a really hardcore filter, how he filters a lot of stories through. What we'll get into now is that it's, at the time of writing, the book was the 10th anniversary mm. of the 9-11 attacks, or writing the article, sorry. So he goes hardcore on exposing the 9-11 conspiracy theorist myths, he calls them. Mate, I just, for a long time, for probably 15 years, I just thought that some 
you know, Al Qaeda hijacked some planes and, and flew them into buildings. Until you showed me this video on Facebook, <laughs> man. You showed mate, me you this showed video. Me that. You showed me that. just like <laughs> I don't even know what was it, mate. But there's a lot of there's a lot of shit in there that for a long time I thought, hang on, what is going on here? Yeah. There's more than what we know. And the conspiracy theorists make a lot of sense. Definitely. I mean, if they just throw out all the other some yep. of the things we were talking about earlier, <laughs> that circumstantial evidence can can make it look like that the the the, the, the towers went off by detonation yep. and of some big conspiracy by the US government. Yeah. But he's got a, some pretty good arguments here to balance yeah. that idea. Mate, we're going to go deep on 9-11 with Shermer when we speak to him. But he says that if you if you Google 9-11 conspiracy, you're going to get over a million different hits um, online of, of all yep. these people trying to say stuff. So, you know, he was giving a talk one time and he said this one kid stood up and said, he just like was just yelling at him, 9-11 was orchestrated by Bush, Cheney and Rumsfeld. The CIA implemented their plan for a new world order and global domination run by gold, oil and drugs. So they wanted to go to war with the Middle East. So they had this Pearl Harbor style fake attack. Yeah. Um, what is it called? Black flag or something? Uh, fuck, I'm, fuck, false I'm flag. Sorry. False flag. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. A false flag attack where they... Uh, Attack the US, but it was the US doing it, but it's their excuse to, to go and invade mm. and get their golden oil and stuff. Yeah. But so that's, that's the. That's a conspiracy. So that's the theory. So with that, he's got a. He, he debunks a lot of that. So yeah. the first one is explosive devices were carefully and secretly planted in the World Trade Center buildings. Yeah. He says you cannot prepare a controlled demolition of a building that contains 50,000 workers, mm. it's got extensive security systems and so forth. Another thing that people talk about is how steel melts 2,177 degrees Fahrenheit and jet fuel can't burn at this temperature. Yeah, exactly, man. Mate, that's, a, that's the biggest one. Jet fuel can't melt steel beams. Mm. Mate, if you, yeah, you start to, if you Google this once, you're going to see it all over your social media. Jet fuel can't melt steel beams. Yeah, and actually, a lot of this, all this evidence is coming from an organization called Archi- Architects and in- Engineers for 9-11 Truth. Yeah. So these ideas come from in- a lot of engineers out there, but he kind of debunks them here. And he says that although... Uh, the temperature of jet fuel burns out, which is 1,500 degrees, can't melt steel. Yep. Steel loses its strength by 50% at that temperature. Exactly. So, he's saying that whilst the jet fuel burning at 1,500 degrees can't melt steel, which melts at 2,700 degrees, as you say, they've lost half of its strength. Yep. And he says that pretty much if one, st- if one floor, say, halfway up broke or like mm. something and dropped then they've got the weight of everything above which compresses down onto the and next pancakes one pancakes on pancakes just and with flat. that with the, the temperature differentials what you're going to have is some parts of the steel that's going to um that deflect more than the other parts causing more stress so when you got temperature differentials it's going to be sagging and pulling at different rates and that's what kind of pulled it down and then nice and as you're alluding to there it a lot of people say it, it fell at almost free fall yeah but it it didn't quite fall at free fall yeah, and that's why they're saying that if if you've got a straight building and a plane flies into it, how come it didn't tip over? But he's saying that because it's mostly air and because of all this stuff, it fell down on down straight down, which looked like a controlled explosion perhaps, but mm. he says it's not. Yeah, and why it looks like a, another of those reasons uh, the conspiracy theorists say it's it's a crock of shit and then big yeah. conspiracy is that when you look at the footage, there's these these explosions out of the windows going out that makes it look like it's a detonation. But yeah. in reality, it's a hurricane of air being compressed really quickly as the building comes down and forces uh-huh. it out at, at such a fast rate. And that's why the, the windows and everything are exploding. Nice. Well, we'll ask the Big Sherm dog a bit more about this. It's, he says it's the big mother of all conspiracies. Mm. And uh, I might even post in the 
in our secret Facebook group, the video that you showed me a couple of years ago. Um, <laughs> Facebook.com slash groups slash what you will learn um, if you want to get woke. Mate, this, <laughs> that's what Ethics Fusion Theories are called. Watch Zeitgeist. Did Zeitgeist. you see that? No, I haven't seen it. Zeitgeist either. is fucking big on this shit. I love to see Sherman versus the Zeitgeist crew. <laughs> um, chapter 19. Uh, it says, smart people believe weird, weird things. And he says, rarely does anyone weigh facts before deciding what they believe. And so, what he says, which is another book we're going to do um, coming up called Win Bigly, is that we decide first and rationalize later. So, he says, rarely do we sit down with a table of facts, weigh up the pros and cons and all possible outcomes and then decide the most radical, ra- rational and logical belief. Mm. He says, we don't base on empirical evidence or logical reasoning. We have our idea and then we shape everything else to fit that idea, which yeah. is very confirmation bias as we were talking about before. Yeah, and when we rationalize later, if you're super smart, your ability mm. to rationalize whatever you've you've made up from the start is going to be much greater. That's so really it. smart people have really good ability to rationalize a crock of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. So he's saying that that's why smart people are even worse is because once they've got that idea, because they're good at coming up with arguments, they're good at uh, understanding and then in- interpreting facts is they trick themselves much more. And another thing is that if, if someone challenges your belief, it doesn't make you change your mind. It makes you double down on that belief. Yes. So if you get directly challenged, you're going to go harder on it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, mate, he <laughs> says that they also did a test on school kids mm. and there's no correlation between scientific knowledge and openness to believing crazy shit. So, essentially, they did a test really? and all the kids who knew and understood all these, you know, scientific and, you know, ideas of physics and biology... They were also, there was just no correlation. They were equally likely to believe crazy flat Earth shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Believe in gravity and flat Earth at the same time. That's interesting. Mate, there's a quote from an 1852 book uh, called Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. Could be something to try in the future. Yes. Um, Peter Schiff always talks about it. Oh, does he? Yeah, bubbles. Oh, nice. yeah. Mate, when, when men wish to construct or support a theory, how they torture facts into their service. So it sounds like one of those, <laughs> it sounds like it was written 160 years ago. Yeah. But basically, if you want to create or construct an idea, you're going to change the facts to fit your side of the story however you can. Yeah, totally. Man, if I've ever learned anything through reading, it's that humans aren't rational. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man, exactly. We're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> mate, what do you want to tackle next? Deconstructing the Dead, which is chapter 27. He says, crossing over to expose the tricks of popular spirit mediums. So, all these mediums and psychics and stuff, the biggest example he talks about is John Edwards who had that TV show, Crossing Over, where he'd have a room of people and he'd be like, I'm sensing something over in this side of the room. I can... Uh, a George is there someone named George or you've got a friend named George or, or Georgina or Georgette or you've got, a, you've got a relative or someone who died or your friend's neighbour or <laughs> and eventually he's going to hit someone who knows someone called Johnson <laughs> like, he's going to get there eventually yeah so basically he's like uh, he pretty much pulls out his techniques for how he goes about coming up with these things that look incredible like he's like he's essentially speaking to the dead. Yeah. <laughs> so one technique is is a cold reading. Which is kind of which, like that one, I think. Which yeah. is like that, yeah. So a whole bunch of random information making broad statements that could apply to anyone. Like if you ask 20 people who is your name named George or you've got a family member named George or a friend named George or a neighbor named George or someone named George, most people will probably think... Yeah, I know someone called George. Yeah, there's a lot of Georges out there. <laughs> yeah. They never say like a really, says, you know, Zyphicana or something, yeah. some really niche or name. Or just like, oh, I'm getting the letter P. 
And it's, yeah. <laughs> so if you go cold, eventually yeah. you're going to hit someone. So yeah. with warm reading, this, yep. which is another way they do it, is it utilizes principles of psychology that kind of apply to everyone. And say if it's going through the causes of death for people, yeah, it might go through through just rapid fire. It's like she's ran, she and just like go through <laughs> ten of them until he hit one. Yeah, but they do it in such a skillful and art, artful way that it's really persuasive. And he doesn't. The other thing he does is he he gives some things that are so he'll give pretty much a fifty fifty. He'll say he'll either say it was a fast death or it was a slow death. Hmm. And so if it was a fast death, he can then narrow it down to maybe it was an accident. Maybe it was a stroke, maybe it was a heart attack, something like that. It was a slow death, it could become cancer or some kind of chronic illness. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is he focuses on either the chest or the head because that's where most shit happens is mm. the chest or the head. Yeah, love that. So, yeah. <laughs> Man, the third one I think we got done by, <laughs> both of us, is the hot reading and that's how mediums obtain information ahead of time. Yeah. So, there's this dude, in, if you're from Melbourne, in Port Melbourne, I'll know his name, Omar. Yeah. Very convincing the way... As a psychic medium, right? And he yeah. said some really interesting stuff, and and I was fully convinced. But anyway, he had one about you, which was very, very narrow. Man, he, had he, lot, he had a lot about me. Well, you were going to Italy, right? I was going to Italy, and he, but he, I hadn't mentioned it. But he says, "Oh, you, you're going on an overseas trip soon," mm. and he's like, "Oh, you're going to Italy." Yeah, and he knew it exactly right. Yeah. So it's either super weird and Sherman's wrong. Yeah. Or he's using a hot reading, and he yeah. went on his social media. <laughs> Called up your girlfriend, Al, beforehand. <laughs> One of the two, Found man. it out. But that's what he says, like this This John Edwards. They had like, before the show started, it was like a two-hour waiting period. We're in the, they're in the holding zone. And essentially, he says that if you're going to see John Edwards then you, and you talk to the random next to you, the most thing you're going to have in common is someone recently died. Yeah. And you're like, oh, which dead relatives do you think are going to come up? So he reckons the room could be bugged and they're listening in. <laughs> they're listening in. Very true, mate. I reckon Omar was on you and your, your car, <laughs> mate, who knows. And the next one we're going to tackle is why E.T. has not phoned in. Yeah. And this is, comes from the idea in 1961. So there was a physicist called Frank Drake who made this famous thing called the Drake Equation mm. where they put all these different variables into equations to calculate how many technological civilizations are in the universe. Yep. And with some of their assumptions, like Carl Sagan, who's a really famous physicist, he put in all these numbers for the assumptions. And what they came up with was that the universe should be buzzing with technology everywhere based mm. on these equations. Yeah. But what Michael Shermer does, he goes through a more conservative approach. So I'll go through mm. some of the actual parts of the formula. So it says N, which is the number of technological civilizations, equals R, which is the rate of formation of suitable stars, mm -hmm. multiplied by FP, which is the fraction of stars with planets, yep. multiplied by NE, which is the number of Earth-like planets in that solar system, multiplied by FL, which is the fraction of planets with life, and which is multiplied by FI, is the fraction of planets with intelligent life, multiplied by FC, which is that fraction with communicating technology, multiplied by L, which is the lifetime of the communicating civilizations. Are you following me, mate? I'm with you fully. And that's the thing is, as you can say, the, all, most of these are random guesses, yeah? Like yep. how are you going to know how many, what fraction of planets have got life on them? Or which fraction of planets have got communicating technology? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of... So, when you plug numbers in this equation, uh, Carl Sagan ends up with over a million. Yeah. But Michael Shermer, he went back through this equation and plugged in some conservative numbers. Yeah. And he put in, say, a L, which is the lifetime of technological civilization of 50,000 years. Yeah. And when he did that, he landed at 4,000 galactic civilizations in the, in the um, galaxy. Yeah. But then he looked at an even more conservative version of L based on the uh, lifetime of a civilization on our planet. 
and based on like the Aztecs and all the you know past ones we've had, it's usually 420 years. Yeah. So if our civilizations are only around 420 years, then we only have 3.35 technological civilizations in our galaxy. 3.35. Yeah, and if that's the case, there's yeah. way too much space between them yeah. for them to be able to travel and actually contact with each other. Exactly, man. Mate, so as you say, it's a big equation. And mate, Shermer loves Carl Sagan, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and But that's the thing. When you've got what, like eight different factors and most of them are educated guesses. You can't, yes. you're not going to know for sure. An optimist like Carl Sagan who wants to go out there and find life mm. will have a much different view to someone who's conservative and less believing. That's and right. once you change those numbers ever so slightly, then the whole, mm. the, the big N is going to be much different. That's right. The back of the equation with the, the amount of civilizations that have communication um, is the uncertain one, but we can really predict the how many stars are out there with planets which yep. are actually Earth-like now, which yeah, is fucking shitloads. Sure. And you, you probably find up to that, but then when you say what percentage have life, what percentage have intelligent life, what percentage can communicate, yeah. and that's... Yeah, I reckon we're still guessing at that point. Mate, we're fucking lucky. <laughs> Mate, we're super <laughs> End lucky. End of the day, we're super lucky to be. Super lucky to be. Mate, there's some other... There's a whole bunch of cool ones. Mate, one I liked was Chapter 40, I Clone. And he says three laws for cloning that will protect clones and advance science. So in the in 1950, Isaac Asimov wrote iRobot, which became a Will Smith movie. And Isaac Asimov said, "We need to make these rules for robots." And so the three rules he gave: uh, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Rule two: a robot must obey orders from a human except where it's in conflict with the first law. And rule three is a robot must protect its own existence as long as that doesn't conflict with rule one or rule two. So essentially saying that uh, we've got all these rules for robots and Sherman's saying the next thing is clones. So clones are coming and we need to have these rules as well to protect the clones. Because if we don't have these rules, like we could do with robots, we could make them slaves, we could make them just purely as test subjects, we could strip away human rights and... So he's he's basically saying that we need these rules for clones. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. the first one is the human clone is no less unique in its personhood than the identical twin. Exactly. So he's saying, obviously, if if you make a clone of a human, it's a human. It's like a twin. It's like an identical twin. Yeah. So even though it hasn't just popped up in your mum's vagina (laughs) in a lab, it's still valid. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Number two, it has the same rights. And that's it. That's that's where where it sort of comes down to is that you can't just make a clone and then do whatever you want with it. It's, yeah. it. It is a human, essentially, yeah. And number three, which is similar, is it's got the same dignity. Yeah, exactly, man. So I think that's um, I think that's important, man. For As it was for robots in the past, I think we've made robots slaves pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but for clones, we've got to be careful and have these rules around mm. it to protect the clones. Yeah, love it. Next one, man, which I really liked, which we'll tackle, is quantum quackery. Yeah. I'll have a crack. Mate, I've got absolutely no idea about this. this Mate, I know you're going to fucking leave me in the lurch here. It's always, it's always hard. But there was this documentary that I previously really liked as well, which I think it came out in the early 90s and it's got some kind of cult following at the moment. Hmm. It's called What the Bleep Do We Know? Mm-hmm. So the, the central idea of this documentary is we create our own reality through our own consciousness using quantum mechanics. So it kind of takes some of the things that are true at the quantum level and then it extrapolates and applies it at the macro level to explain some ideas, a lot of the things in the New Age movement. Mm-hmm. So at the quantum level, there's some really weird, spooky things that physicists don't really know a lot about. Um, yeah. One of them is something called the Heisenberg Principle, which states that the more precisely you know a particle's position, the less precisely you know its speed and vice versa. No, and that doesn't make any sense to me, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you keep rolling. Mate, the next- <laughs> <laughs> so if, you, if I looked at you... Yep. 
I know your... You know the position. I know your position in speed. Yep. It's kind of saying if you... It's using weird things like this, but applying it, they just don't happen at the at the macro level. Okay, yeah, yeah. Something that might make a lot more sense is something called the double slit experiment, which is really... Oh, mate, that makes less sense. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, to explain it. So it's saying if you put a, a wave, a light wave or a particle wave through two slits, and if you don't observe it, what actually happens is the particle goes through both slits at the same time. Yeah. So it's essentially one thing is in more place than once. Right, and if you actually observe where the particle is before it goes through the slit, yep. it kind of collapses into one position and yep. then goes through. So yep. the idea is, if you're not looking, the particle's in a million places at once. Yep. But as soon as you look, it collapses into one position. And yep. what they do here is they try and break that down at the macro level. So if you're not looking at the moon, the moon's not actually there. And by looking at it, the consciousness actually causes it to collapse into. One location <laughs> position. Yeah, doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, no, mate, you did a good job there. But the ju- uh, but yeah, the crux man is, and yeah. it applies at the neurons. The actual neuron is yeah. the thing that's causing everything to collapse in this world. Mate, so are we a simulation? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's completely unrelated. Oh, okay. <laughs> mate, you've been way off. Mate, I'm way off. No, I sort of get it, but at the same time, I really don't get it. The but more yeah. I think about it, the less I understand it. Yeah. <laughs> So it's essentially, you know, the new age, you know, the new age idea, which is a lot about law of attraction kind of stuff. Yeah. The thoughts create reality. Yeah. So it's taking this idea, applying these quantum ideas at the level and using it to support this. So what Michael yeah. says, if you believe this law of attraction, thoughts create reality shit, yeah. go and jump off a 20 story building <laughs> and consciously choose the experience of, of landing softly <laughs> and, and see how you go. You go. <laughs> yeah, I don't nice. think you'd be there to tell this out, mate. <laughs> I like it. And mate, there's one... In uh, the last one we do, I reckon, called Sham Scam, um, about a bit more of that stuff. But I want to do number 35, Shermer's Last Law. And he says that any sufficiently advanced extraterrestrial intelligence is indistinguishable from God. Now, I like this one in that this could hopefully comes along one day. Yeah. But this dude called Arthur C. Clarke, who is a very prolific science fiction writer, wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey. He had three laws. So Clarke's first law is... Uh, when a distinguished elderly scientist states something that is possible, he's almost certainly right. And when he states something is impossible, he's very probably wrong. So I like, yeah. I like that one. Yeah. Um, Clark's second law, the only way of discovering the limits of what is possible is to venture a little way past it into the impossible. So I think that's super important as yeah, well. That's good shit. And Clark's third law, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yes. So that's saying that if you jump ahead from us to go ahead 100 years or say someone from 100 years ago who sees an iPhone mm. going onto the internet accessing information from the other side of the world or, or FaceTiming someone in, in yeah. a different country, that's magic to them. Yeah, or if you rock up to like, um, you know, Jesus' crucifixion in a Lamborghini. Yeah, they think, what the hell <laughs> is magic. this magic? You know, yeah. God's rocked up, God's real. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And they'll fucking just, yeah. <laughs> so Sherman twists this one into saying that any sufficiently advanced extraterrestrial intelligence is indistinguishable from God. And then he says that biology... Biological yeah. evolution happens at a snail's pace, but technological evolution is extremely, extremely rapid. Mm. And he says that if you like, if you took a million-year-old Homo erectus, put him in the middle of New York City with an iPhone and a computer, and asked him to communicate with humans, he'd be absolutely no chance. So that's like saying a, an advanced uh, extraterrestrial intelligence coming to Earth and trying to us trying to contact them or make 
connection with him, mm. almost impossible. Actually, it will be like God. It's such an interesting idea because yeah. say in a thousand years how much technological advance we've had, it's absolutely bizarre. And that's only a small blip exactly. in terms of like time in, compared to the universe. So imagine a technological mm. civilization after 100,000 years. Yes. That'll be that far ahead. We won't even know what the fuck's going on. Exactly, man. Basically, you're saying that if anyone who's at our level or behind our level won't be able to make it to a different planet, like we can't travel to a different planet, and anyone who's way too far ahead just won't even be the same species. It'll be God. Yeah. 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 Well, there you go. Mate, so we've got so to, you're worshipping aliens now, mate? Yeah, that's it, mate. We've got to venture beyond the possible, mate, to find the edge of the possible by going into what is impossible. Yeah. Nice bit I of inspiration like there. I like that. <laughs> Number chapter 52 is the sham scam. <laughs> mate, the self-help and actualization movement. Mate, it's $8.5 billion industry it's huge at the time industry, of writing. Man. Self-help. I think so we're, we're sort of in it. Yeah, we're both <laughs> sort of, yeah, we're deep in it. <laughs> we're, we're both spent, spent a bit of dough on it. <laughs> Tony Robbins is a big one, which he yep. begins the chapter on. He says, hey, Tony Robbins, you know, we spent a couple of grand going to unleash yep. the power within. Yep. Um, he teaches you to work across burning coals. Think and, positive thoughts. Yeah, and it gives yeah. you an experience and belief. So you're going past, I think you're saying, cool moss, cool moss, cool moss. Yeah. And because your brain's not focused on the coal, you just go straight through it. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing experience, right? Yeah, exactly, man. To think that you can walk across fire for 20 meters or something, burning hot coals and not get burnt because of thinking positively and being able to achieve anything yeah. that you set your mind to. Mm. And even Sherman, the author of this book, he's, he's done it a few times as well. Yeah, yes. But he said that he's also done it where he wasn't thinking positive thoughts and, it hurt. and he walked across and he, no, <laughs> did not burn. Oh, really? <laughs> it was still fine, mate. So it wasn't, just... Mate, it wasn't the positive thoughts that saved us. Oh, Basically, he was just saying that wood is a poor conductor of heat and he gives the example of that if you are cooking a cake in the oven and it's at, you know, 250 degrees or whatever. If you open the oven and put your hand in there, it feels hot, but it doesn't burn you. And if you touch the cake mixture, it doesn't burn you. But if you touch the metal tin, it burns you mm. because metal is a good conductor of heat. So he says heat, uh, wood in that instance is a poor conductor of heat in that we've got, you know, calloused skin on the bottom of our feet. If we walk quick enough and for not too far, then we're going to be fine. So we wasted our money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, fuck. <laughs> he also talks about a book caught by Steve Salerno, Sham, How the Self-Health Movement Made America Helpless. I wouldn't mind reading that one as well. <laughs> Mate, that sounds like a good one actually. Yeah, so when you go through a big Tony Robbins event or any kind of self-help stuff, you have this momentary boost of inspiration, but after a few weeks, you kind of get addicted to this boost you get after going to all yeah. these seminars and spending <laughs> all this money as if you're doing shit. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, he says that there's glowing testimonials for all of these types of books and programs and courses and stuff. But he says that due to the law of large numbers, inevitably there's going to be some people where yeah. it works. or Not that it works, but they're going to achieve success in their life. Hmm. And he says that the law of large numbers means... One in a million miracles happen 300 times a day in America because it's 300 million people. Yeah. But he's saying that like someone like Oprah, who's massive on the secret, she thinks the secret, the law of attraction is the way to go. But Sherman can see, yeah, look, it worked for Oprah, but that's Oprah. Yeah. And like she was, she was after that put in the work, put in the effort and worked super hard to get there. Mm. And she now attributes that to the secret. Yeah. But it's saying that, can someone start off with a secret and then just get to the Lamborghini? Mm. And secret could almost be dangerous because oh, yeah. you know it might lead to people just sitting there in their bed visualizing a Lamborghini just popping up yep. in their driveway <laughs> yep. and they just, just visualize for 10 years and they, they do nothing about it. But then they think they're a bad visualizer. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so they may, you know, just keep tweaking that. So these self-help people, they might have all the testimonials in the world. Yeah. But there's actually no peer-reviewed scientific yeah. research that that's what proves that it works. Yeah. And that's it for Shermer. He's, he needs that scientific evidence. He's skeptical of these, you know, one in a million claims and all these glowing testimonials. He needs to see the rational scientific evidence. Mate, and you, when you first jump into self-help scene, you're all about it. Oh, it's, yeah. It's good. But, you know, you can pretty, pretty quickly find out there's so many scam yep. artists in it. <laughs> oh, fucking full of shit. And, yeah, and mate, I've fallen victim. <laughs> I've fallen victim before. Mate, you're done. Your worst one is like, yeah, you spent, <laughs> spent a few K. Yeah, oh, yeah, more than a few. <laughs> <laughs> but, mate, that's uh, cool. skeptic. Man, I'm looking forward to speaking to Michael Shermer. Yeah. We'll definitely ask about 9-11 uh, and definitely about some of this other stuff as well. So his brand new book is called Heavens on Earth hmm. um, about looking at religion, the afterlife, utopia. Sounds Through the rational eye. Sounds sick. Yeah, so he doesn't like hit religion for six, like it might sound like. Mm. He just views it from a rational eye. So there's some parts of it that actually make a lot of sense. I think from the kind of psychological point of view of religion as opposed to like a factual point of view he believes in. Yeah, for sure. I like it, man. Cool dude. Check out the Facebook group to see Adam Jones' favorite video on the the 9-11 conspiracy. (laughs) Oh, man, no, I'm not. I'm a rational dude. Come on. A new book called The Truth About September 11th claims to present evidence that the destruction of the World Trade Center was not the work of terrorists, but was in fact perpetrated by the U.S. government. With us, the much maligned book's author, William Gerard. Most of the mainstream media, they're just too afraid to even have me on, so thank you. 